As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Good morning. Good to see you. Um, Ed Stetzer, been a while since I've been here. I'm teaching pastor here at High Point, but I've been I've been gone from Illinois for 50 days, which seems very strange. I've been in Australia for a month or so, just returned from the UK, for, was there for a couple of weeks, and so, but it's good to be back, um, and good to be able to share with you today in this series, we're on the resurrection, just a little bit of a pers- personal news. Um, I, have, uh, I am currently the dean, a dean and a professor at Wheaton College, uh, where I, and I serve here as a teaching pastor as part of that, but I've actually resigned as dean and professor at Wheaton College, and the Stetzers will be moving to uh, California, Southern California, in, uh, in this later this summer, where I'll start as the dean and professor at the Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. Uh, we are uh, moving to Southern California where it's, um, it's, it's not... It's not rainy and snowy all the time, so, but that has nothing to do with it. It's a call from God. It has nothing to do with the weather. Uh, but I'll still I'll be here again, and, you know, and I'll be here some uh, beyond that. You know, whenever they invite, I'll be happy to come. But I just wanted to share with you. I've shared it on social media, but I haven't had a chance to share with you. Uh, I've had the privilege of you know, kind of walking with you for five or six years as teaching pastor and look forward to continuing to be back. So I'll, this is not the last Sunday I'll be here, but I'll be here again. Uh, so I'm part of this series today. We've been talking about the resurrection. I'm going to talk today about resurrection confirmation. We're in this series called Resurrection. Stories. I'll be talking today about resurrection confirmation, Paul's three witnesses to the resurrection. I don't know if I said my name's Ed Stetzer, so but I'm glad to be with you today. First Corinthians, oh, there you go. I've never had people applaud my name before, so that's great. So uh, next time some you say your name, I'll applaud you back. So if you have a Bible, take it out and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to talk today about how the confirmation of the resurrection is the confidence of our new life in Christ. Matter of fact, I want you to hear that this passage in times that I have of doubt, I know this might be a shock to you as a pastor, as a, as a professor at a seminary, that I have had doubts in the past. Now, doubt is not an absence of belief. Matter of fact, in some sense, to believe, you actually have, the possi- have to have the possibility of doubt. And when I've doubted in maybe difficult times or I've doubted the truths of Christianity, it is actually this passage that I'm gonna talk about today. I love that they asked me to do this passage is the passage that I am most influenced by to see the truths of the gospel, excuse me, and the resurrection. Um, so, so even my thesis today is the confirmation of the resurrection is the confidence of our new life in Christ begins with the word confirmation. So let's talk a little bit. It's a bit of a long introduction before we get to 1 Corinthians, so forgive me. But confirmation bias is a term describing how someone will pay attention to the data that supports their views while dismissing data that does not. That's why when, if you have kids and you take them to the Little League game, you always see the umpire calls bad calls against your team and not the other team. And that may be true, but confirmation bias means you see it when it's something that's on, you know, you're concerned about, but you don't see it otherwise. And, and actually it's true on social media. I was just, for some reason, when I was, when I was in England, I, I, I just came back to, uh, this weekend, but I, I, I don't know, I was there and I clicked on something in America, some tweet, and I read a couple of tweets from kind of some, I don't know, some fringy people who kind of just say really strange things. And now my Twitter feed is all like crazy people all the time. You know, it's got that algorithm and now it's got for you. And, they, and so, and it's fascinating 
how people like, they're just believing crazy stuff, but they're sharing it and resharing it and affirming each other. That's confirmation bias. And skeptics of Christianity often will say that what we're experiencing as Christians and what they experienced 2,000 years ago was confirmation bias. Now we actually hear people say, uh, C.S. Lewis famously said this, that Jesus is one of three things and you have to choose. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord. And you gotta choose. In an evangelistic message, he will say, he's the Lord, so respond to him. But here's the thing, and maybe you've heard that before, but skeptics like Bart Ehrman. So Bart Ehrman went to Moody Bible Institute and Wheaton College. Right? We, don't, we don't talk about him as one of our graduates a lot. He's a skeptic today, professor at the University of North Carolina, has written books, kind of persuade people away from maybe what I'm gonna talk about today. Um, and, and so Bart Ehrman would say that, okay, I get what you're saying about Jesus being liar, or lunatic, or Lord, but there's another option. He could be a legend, and the legend built over time, and maybe confirmation bias, you might not use that word, but confirmation bias has caused people to believe those things. Now, Paul here takes a very different approach. Paul's an apostle, he's writing to the people at Corinth, and Paul does say that if Christ is not risen, our faith is in vain. It's a waste. My life, your life, right? So how do we respond to that? Next, next week, Ron's gonna be talking about this from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, where it says this, I'll let him do it next week, but it says in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. You couldn't get more blunt than that. So if it's confirmation bias, and if it's a legend that was created over time, our faith, our preaching is in vain, and your faith is is useless. Now, now we're going to see in this passage that this passage, as I said before, is the most important passage to me when I have struggled with issues of doubt. And I'll talk about why in just a minute. But we ought to point out that if the, gospel, the gospels are not true, um, if, if they're trying to kind of hide the truth, they wouldn't put things in there that sort of are strange with their inclusion if you're trying to cover up, maybe Jesus really didn't die, maybe they stole his body. For example, um, the Gospels point out things like that women were the first people at the tomb. Now, 2,000 years ago, the testimony of a woman was considered so unreliable that women couldn't testify in court. I'm not saying that's a good thing, just so we're clear, okay? I'm saying that's the way people thought 2,000 years ago, and yet Jesus chose that it would be women who would be the first eyewitnesses of his resurrection, which is both speaks to the value and the importance of women, both to the life and ministry of Jesus, but also to the ongoing work of the church and the mission. But it also points to the fact that if you wanted to cover up a stolen body, you wouldn't say the first people to see the resurrection were women. Or for that matter, in Matthew 28, verses, uh, verse, verses 11 through 15, we read how the religious leaders actually paid soldiers to say Jesus' body had been stolen, which is not a story you would include in the Gospels if you're trying to hide the truth and defend a legend of the resurrection. So, what's going on? 
So there's a, a more modern religious figure by the name of Chuck Colson. He's died now, he's with the Lord. Uh, but Chuck Colson is a very famous figure in history. He's famous in more than one way. In one way, he's famous for founding Prison Fellowship. If you come over with me to Wheaton College in my remaining couple of months, I just go down the hall, I lead the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. In there is the Institute for Prison Ministry, and we have something called the Colson Scholars Program. You can only be a Colson Scholar at Wheaton College if you have been incarcerated and now have been released, and there's a scholarship to help you start your life over again. It's a pretty remarkable thing. It's named after Charles Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was one of the Watergate 7. Watergate, the scandal that shook the nation, took down President Nixon, but Colson came to faith. After his release from prison, he founds Prison Fellowship, a ministry to incarcerated persons. But reflecting on the Watergate scandal might help us today. Colson does that. Here's what he says, quote, in Watergate, 12 of the most powerful men in the world couldn't keep alive for three weeks, unquote. So he points out that trained people all outed themselves within three weeks. And then he compared that to the witness of the 12 apostles to the resurrection of Jesus. Quote, 12 men testified they'd seen Jesus raised from the dead, proclaimed that for 40 years and never stopped denying it, unquote. They were beaten, they were tortured, many of them killed. He goes on to say, do you think, quote, 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible, unquote, right? So the conviction that they believed faced persecution and death and more. Why? Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most fundamental truth of Christianity and of the entire universe of all time. Take away the resurrection, there's no gospel. If there's no gospel, there's no way for sinners to be saved. But Paul declares here in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus is our risen Lord. Now, in our, in our text, Paul gives three clear witnesses, three clear witnesses to the resurrection. The changed lives of the Corinthian believers, the witness of all scripture, and the eyewitnesses who saw Jesus after the resurrection. And that third part is gonna be so central. I'll talk about how it has spoken to my doubt. Uh, we've been in a series of these post-Easter resurrection stories, right, from the Emmaus Road. You remember the series. You can follow these online. If you haven't followed along with us, go to highpoint.church. Uh, from the Emmaus Road to the disciples in John 21 to Peter specifically, today we see Paul's perspective on the resurrection in the first epistle of the Corinthians. Remember my thesis? The confirmation of the resurrection is the confidence of our new life in Christ. Number one, if you're a note taker, follow along. We actually give you sheets to do that as well. One of the things we know, I had a sheet here to show you, but now I can't find it. So I thought it was in here, but there's sheets somewhere out there. So, but not here. So um, and there it was, it just, look at that. <laughs> look at that. So we didn't have it, couldn't do this. So you can follow along. So number one, uh, lives changed by the gospel. The first witness to the resurrection is lives changed by the gospel. Remember, the confirmation of the resurrection is the confidence of our new life in Christ. So verses one and two of 1 Corinthians 15 says this. Now I would remind you, Paul writing to his Christian brothers and sisters, he says brothers, we'd say brothers and sisters today, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I'm gonna go through every phrase in here and walk through this in detail. It's a beautiful passage. The church to whom Paul addressed this letter had found salvation in the resurrected Jesus Paul proclaimed. So his first witness to the resurrection is actually their very lives. It says, now I would remind you brothers of the gospel. 
This, this word, like reminding you of the gospel, this word in the Greek text is the same word for evangelize. It has two parts, eu, E-U, which means good, eureka, eulogy is saying good things, euphoria is having good feelings, E-U, it has two parts, E-U, good, and angel, pronounced a little differently in the Greek, but angel, which means a message. So Paul describes to us a good message that the good news in verses three and four, he's gonna tell us, but the good news that the Corinthian leaders had heard and believed from Paul. So let me remind you, the gospel is good news and the most pressing news that the world needs to hear today. Then he says, which I, the gospel which I preach to you. Now it's interesting, this translation, right? This here, what I preach to you is not the normal word for preach, which is krigma. So it's, not, it's, it's of the gospel that I, that I uh, preach to you. Uh, so Paul literally says, the gospel which I gospelize for you. The gospel which I gospelize for you. Right, so, so, so again, same, same kind of word, uh, or the evangel which I evangelize for you. So not every believer is gonna preach like, like I am or like Craig does or like Ron does or Steve, whatever, but every believer can tell this good news. Paul was first to bring the good news to Corinth, planting the church in the face of opposition. We actually have a record of this in Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, verse one, it says, after this, Paul left Athens and went down to Corinth. Last year at about this time, I was in Athens and I went down to Corinth. It's not a far journey. Corinth is this very significant city. Not so much today. Athens is still a significant world-class city today. Corinth, not so much. But Corinth is there because it's on an isthmus, right? So on one side is water, the other side is water. Corinth is at a narrow point in this long uh, isthmus peninsula. And so they would you know, get off their boats and go from here and go to the other side. And so Corinth became this, this town of commerce, not unlike Chicago was. You know, Chicago was founded because they found a way, uh, it's actually what's called Portage Park, Park today. They found a way to go ultimately from the Great Lakes through Portage Park into the rivers, ultimately down to the Mississippi. And Chicago exists today because it's a passageway between two bodies of water. Well, that was Corinth. So he goes to Corinth and Corinth is very worldly too, right? It's, a, it's, it's very affluent, most affluent city in all of Greece. It's a growing city, diverse city, like a lot of port cities. There was a lot of wickedness that's there, immorality and idolatry marked by the temple of Aphrodite, lots of stuff going on. And so then Paul says, he stayed there for a year and six months teaching the word of God uh, among them. But then it says, let's go back to, go ahead and put back up on the screen verses one and two. It says, which you received. So the gospel I preached to you, which you received. I want you not to miss which you received. Because here's the thing, right? Which you received really does matter that we understand that there's a reception of this gospel. Uh, a, few, a few, 20 years ago, not a few years ago, 20 years ago, I was in Israel. And while I was in Israel, um, we were on a tour bus and the tour bus was owned by the Israeli government. The employees of the tour bus were um, Israeli citizens, in this case, a, uh, a secular Jewish young man. Uh, you can, in Judaism, uh, in Israel, there are people who are very devoutly religious and people who are irreligious, but are of ethnic Jewish heritage. That was the young man who was our tour guide. So we're driving around on the tour bus and he's pointing out things like, well, here's Abraham's, you know, the Abraham's tomb, where's David, where David would have reigned. And he's pointing out Christian things. And he says, uh, this is where Jesus would have healed so-and-so or Jesus turned water to the wine. And then, and then he says at one point, we're at the church of the Holy Sepulchre, or coming up to it at least, he says, and this is where Jesus was resurrected. And so I asked him, hopefully, 
hopefully not in too much of a blurting way, but it was 20 years ago and I blurted more when I was younger. I, I, I asked him, so let me ask you a question. Again, not, not aggressively at all, but let me ask you a question. Um, you know, as a Christian, I wouldn't be offended at all if you said, this is where Christians believe that Jesus rose from the dead, or this is where Christians believe that Jesus turned the water into the wine. I wouldn't be offended at all if you said that, because I recognize you're Jewish, uh, in this case, secular Jewish, so you're not necessarily practicing any faith. But what he said to me was really interesting. What he said to me was, well, you know, actually for me, I'm fine with the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, I'm fine with the fact that these miracles happen. Uh, I, I'm fine with the fact that Buddha walked on water, right? He mentioned other religions, and by the way, Buddha never walked on water, but that's another story for another day. But for him, he was just like, you know, it's fine. It's fine. And I thought, what a strange thing. Because if it's true that Jesus was dead on a Friday and on Sunday back from the dead, that's the biggest news possible. Particularly considering who Jesus was, that he was God the Son, born Jesus the Christ, lived the sinless life, did all these miracles, died on the cross for our sin and in our place, was dead, buried, and in a grave. And then Saturday and on Sunday, God raised him from the dead and he walked right out of that tomb. That's not something you can casually say, yeah, that probably happened. But then I thought about the fact how I grew up. I grew up kind of that way too. I grew up on Long Island outside of New York City. We were nominally Catholic. The, the Catholic church was basically just the church we didn't go to. And one day, maybe Christmas and Easter, and, and I kind of held these views as if they were unimportant. They were, they were just not essential. But here, when Paul's saying, I preached to you in Corinth, in which you received, in the Greek, it literally means you held close you held that truth closely. And as a kid, I didn't hold that truth closely. Matter of fact, I remember that on August 13th, I got in trouble. My mother uh, grounded me. My mother punished me. I, was, I, I, got, I don't remember what the trouble was, but my mother, for punishment, she sent me to a Christian summer youth camp as punishment, <laughs> which is the horror of every youth camp director in the world. Can you imagine? Well, why are you here? My, I got in trouble. And, but during that youth camp, I heard the good news of the gospel. I received by grace and through faith salvation that comes only through Jesus' death on the cross for our sin and in our place. And at that point, I held closely that truth, which you received. I received the good news of that gospel. John 1, 12, Jesus says this, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become, John writes this, he gave the right to become children of God, to receive, to hold that truth close. And maybe like me, you have this general vague notion that there were some miracles and one of them included a resurrection. And I just want to say to you that if that is really true, if that really happened, that's not something you can vaguely believe. You need to hold that close and hold that true. I don't know if you remember when you first heard the gospel or received. I do. I told you a date. I remember. Give thanks today if you have received by grace and through faith. And if not, I invite you to trust and follow him. And then it goes on to say, in which you stand. Right? Back to verses one and two. In which you stand. Right? So don't miss that. In which you stand. In other words, we now take these beliefs. The gospel is true. We stand on the rock that is Jesus. He has recreated us in new life through salvation. Our identity is primarily not found in anything other. It's not our vocation, not who we are. Not our identity is found in a life changed by the resurrected Christ. And you could stand on the truth of that gospel today. That's the truth we stand on here. 
That's why we're doing such a series on the resurrection. And it says, and by which you are being saved. There's still an ongoing work. We're saved, right? Philippians says, he, we have received, we have begun a good work. He's gonna carry it on to completion. He's still saving us and changing us. One day we'll be with him and see him face to face. And then it says, if you hold fast to the word I preach. Which sometimes we see that and we're like, well, is, it, is that like a, is that like a, debate? Are we maybe not going to? We're going to. But in the Greek, it's actually what's called a first-class conditional, which is really since. It's like there's, he has confidence that this is going to hold fast. Now, here's the thing, right? If the resurrection is true, then we're going to hold fast to that truth. And the reality is it's going to lead to a changed life upon which we stand. Not something we casually hold, right? So the first witnesses of the resurrection is the changed lives by the gospel, the lives changed by the gospel. Now remember what we keep coming back to, what we're talking about, the confirmation of the resurrection is the confidence of our new life in Christ. There's that new life in Christ. So Paul's first witness is actually the people who's been changed by the power of the gospel. The changed life of a believer then throughout history, then and throughout history, in, and in still in our day is a powerful defense of the truth of the resurrection. Number two, the second witness to the resurrection is the whole Bible. The second witness to the resurrection is the whole Bible. Remember, the confirmation of the resurrection is the confidence of our new life in Christ. So this is the heart of something super, super, super important. Here it is, 1 Corinthians 15, verses three and four. For I delivered, he's just a messenger. He's just a newsboy, right? He's just a delivery boy. I delivered to you as of first importance. You want to know most, the, most, the most important thing in the Christian faith is, is that the tomb is empty. That's the most important thing in the Christian faith, right? Everything else is built upon that. You say, well, Ed, I thought the authority of the Bible was the most important thing. Listen, I believe in the authority and inerrancy of the scriptures, but if the tomb was not empty, that doesn't matter. I thought being involved in the church is great. Yeah, that's important. But if the tomb is not empty, that does not matter. This is of first importance, that which I received or held close. And here it is. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. Say that word with me, died. Would you say it with me? Died. One more time. Died. I'm making you say it because in 2023, people in America, they don't like to use the word die or died or death. And there's a reason for that, right? It's, it's kind of become a taboo in our culture. And it's strange to us. Like we literally won't say that somebody died. We will say that they passed away because we're uncomfortable with the word. And as a, when I was going through seminary, I went through a a class on pastoral counseling. And one of the things they told me, if you're the first person to tell somebody that somebody died, you gotta say died. You don't say passed away. You don't say gone to a better place. You say died because people have to receive the challenge of that. But we're really terrified of the word died. We, we, don't, we don't wanna see people die. We don't wanna be, sometimes we don't wanna be around people when they die. We wanna be a part, we, when, they, when, they, when they die, we wanna make them look different in the funeral, right? So, so and this is not unlike the way the Victorian England treated sex. Now, now be, 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 don't be nervous here. This is not even going to get to PG level. So, but um, at the beginning part of the last century even, and for centuries before, people in the West, in England and America, would just not even use the word sex, right? So, or let me give you an example. So some of you are old enough to remember the TV show, I Love Lucy, right? Ricky and Lucy, they have a baby. So she's pregnant. But here's an interesting fact. They never used the word pregnant on the television show because they weren't allowed to use the word pregnant. Oh, that was long before HBO. 
But they weren't. They weren't allowed to use the word pregnant. Matter of fact, they slept in separate beds, which makes you wonder about the pregnancy. But anyway, so there they were. And so the phrase they use is that she's in a family way. So they couldn't even say, she couldn't say the word pregnant because that implies something else, right? So they'd say she's in a family way. And so now today, oh gosh, it's so different. I wish we had a little more wisdom in how we talked about those things today. But today we sort of treat death in that way. We can't talk about it. We got to use another word for it. We got to pretend it's not happening. We can't see it. Yet for thousands of years, people have died. And as followers of Jesus, they have recognized that death is a temporary reality leading to an eternal life. And here's the thing I don't want you to miss. Our entire faith is built upon a death that we speak so much about that we actually have a holiday and we call the day of that death a Good Friday. So it's very countercultural to talk about death, but it's necessary to talk about resurrection, right? So this is, right, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried in a tomb rolled the stone in front and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So first importance, this death and resurrection. And as you read through Paul's letter, it's interesting how often, just use Corinthians as an example, uh, how often he brings up the gospel again and again. So the resurrection is the foundation of the gospel. The gospel points to what Jesus did on our behalf. So, so let's talk about uh, immorality, right? People say Christians are so driven by morality. Why? Why? Well, let's look. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee from sexual morality, right? And then why? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. That purchase is the death of Jesus on the cross for your sin and in your place. That payment was God raising him from the dead. That validation was God raising him from the dead on the third day. So the teachings of scripture all flow from the truth of the resurrection, of the crucifixion and the resurrection. You know, what, what about financial generosity, right? In the context of giving, Paul writes to the churches about giving to other churches in great need. Look at how he shows like Jesus is the model for giving. He says, for you know the grace of God of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich for your sake, he became poor. So you by his poverty might become rich. He says, you're affluent, want to help you to give over and over again, because the central truth of the gospel is the resurrection, the sacrifice on the cross and the resurrection on the third day. It points back to that over and over again. And you can't get over that. Now here's the, I wish, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not the kind of person who likes to like call out you know, and get into big fights with other groups or Christians or things of that sort. But one of the saddest things to me, you know, I, just, I, just, I just came back from England. Um, and just to, I was in, uh, on, on Monday, I was at, I was at Oxford University. And, and just to go by these churches and once preach the gospel that were unapologetic Matter of fact, there's this place where the Oxford martyrs are. There's a little spot where they were burned to death. I could stand right there. And, uh, and, and they sacrificed for their faith. And today, there are cathedrals throughout Europe that kind of have moved on from the idea of the resurrection. But here's the problem. There are churches throughout Naperville who have kind of moved on from the centrality of the resurrection. Again, I'm not trying to be mean. I want you to hear this in the love that comes from the truth of the gospel. But the reality is, is there are churches who've sort of gotten over the idea that Christianity is all about a crucifixion and a resurrection. And so here's the deal. You may leave High Point Church one day. I can't imagine that you would. But let's say hypothetically you're moving to California. Um, 
And you show up at a church that de-emphasizes the resurrection, that says things like, it doesn't matter if Jesus was bodily resurrected. That doesn't really happen. What matters is like the spirit of Jesus, doing good to others, showing loving ways to other people. I believe in showing loving ways to other people and doing good things. But at the end of the day, Christianity rises and falls on the fact that the cross was full and the tomb is empty. And... In a world that's afraid of talking about death, that is not a popular truth, but it's still true and it still matters. So Paul fascinatingly actually repeats the same phrase twice. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He's buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. It kind of feels like he cut and paste, but they they didn't have that back in the day. But he kind of repeats it twice. Well, why does he repeat it twice? in accordance with the scriptures. Paul understood that as vital as the gospel is and as crucial as the resurrection is to the gospel, the entirety of scripture gives witness to God's redemptive work in Christ. Paul actually understood uh, two key things when he repeats the statement. First, he notes the importance of the whole witness of scripture to the gospel, the whole thing. It all rises and falls on this. And he died in accordance with the second, he's paralleled the importance of the resurrection with the death of Jesus. He died in accordance with the scriptures. He was raised in accordance with the scriptures. So a few years ago, I forget what, what happened, but something about Christians and uh, something about morality. And I got asked to be on a radio program called NPR's Morning Edition. And it's kind of a fascinating interview. Steve Inskeep, you can actually listen to this interview online if you're interested, but Steve Inskeep is the host. It's a live interview, which I prefer live interviews because then they can't edit. But also, like the NPR Morning Edition show goes kind of long. So I, it was like five or six minutes long, which is an eternity in radio time. So he says to me something, and I'm paraphrasing, he says to me something like, well, Ed, or I think he called me Dr. Stetzer. Dr. Stetzer, it seems that, I mean, your views on this issue, is something about morality or sexuality, your views on this issue, uh, he said, are the Christians or evangelicals, they're kind of out of step with the times. They're kind of out of step with the moment. It's you, and, and there's almost a sense that, you know, that you're going to be pushed out when you hold these views. They're just sort of, they're just sort of odd and unbelievable. And I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was something to the effect of this. I said, Steve, well, let me just tell you, that's actually not the oddest and most unbelievable thing that we actually believe. We actually believe that there was a guy who was dead on Friday. And on Sunday, God raised him from the dead and that changes everything for everybody forever in the whole world. So I believe strange things. We believe strange things, but there's nothing stranger than that. But from that flows a whole lot of other strange things that we believe. And sisters and brothers, in today's world, you're gonna have to stand on the truths of the gospel, the authority of the scriptures, and it boils down to the fact that the God of all the universe died on the cross for your sin and in your place, and God raised him from the dead on the third day. And that changes everything. Now, it also says according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, and you gotta maybe see this from different perspectives. Um, if you're looking at this from, um, like at the street level, right? So I, you know, Jesus saved me, Jesus changed me. That's kind of what Paul describes in part here, that he, he died for you, you receive it, you, you hold it close. But now imagine you're on an airplane like I was yesterday, you know, 38,000 feet and you're looking down. We went through some storms over the lake and got to see Chicago beautifully as it was coming down. So you see the big picture. And Paul's hitting at this and I think hinting at this when he says in accordance with the scriptures, surveying the gospel from the perspective of the whole Bible, we can see the larger picture of the plot line of eternity, creation, fall, redemption, and, resur- and, 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 and restoration. 
Jesus explained it like this to his disciples after the resurrection. How the whole scripture points to that in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 24, verse 44. He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses, the Hebrew scriptures, right? The Old Testament, the Torah, and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus is telling them it's the whole Bible. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer And on the third day, rise from the dead and the repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. So Jesus gives the large view, the larger view, in accordance with the scriptures. So the resurrection, foundational to the gospel, the gospel is of first importance because the greatest problem facing humanity is sin and the remedy is found in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So we have the witness of the Corinthian believers, we have the witness of all scripture, but there's another witness. Remember, the confirmation of the resurrection is the confidence of our new life in Christ. And this third witness is the passage that has been most encouraging to me in times of doubt. Number three, and finally, the third witness to the resurrection is a host of eyewitnesses. I'm looking at the time clock and I've gone long already. So I hope you packed a lunch. Um, Because you heard I'm moving to California, so what are you gonna do? So, um, So the confirmation of the resurrection is the confidence in our new life in Christ. So here, verses five through 11. When I have struggled and I said, Lord, is this true? Is this real? It's usually in times of hard times, times of difficulty, doubt often can come. In 1 Corinthians 5, beginning 15 verse five, it says he appeared to Cephas. That's the Aramaic name for Peter. So he appeared to Peter, then to 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. I don't want you to miss that phrase. You say, Ed, why do you believe Christianity? Why don't you believe Mormonism? Or why don't you believe Islam? Well, let me give you the example, okay? So to believe Mormonism, you actually act to have to believe that an angel showed up to a guy named Joseph Smith in upstate New York with some gold plates that he alone was there to see. Actually, to follow Islam, you have to believe that the angel Gabriel comes to a cave by himself and tells Muhammad what ultimately comes the Quran. Whereas Christianity says, hey, 500 people saw this. They're still alive. Go find Bob on North Main Street and ask him he was there. Do you see the difference? So when I say, Lord, is this true? I see words like appear. Then he appeared to more than 500, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, the half-brother of Jesus, then to all the apostles. By the way, interestingly, he says he appears to the 12. Then there seems to be a larger group of apostles later on. Don't have time to unpack that. But last of all, he says to Paul, to one as untimely born. He's talking about himself because he was a persecutor of the church. He says he appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by grace of God, I am what I am. Can I just say I love that phrase? I am what I am by the grace of God. That's something you can put on your mirror. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me, whether it was I or they, so we preach and you believe. Four times, Paul says, appeared, 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 appeared. Different people and different groups and sisters and brothers. When I look to the truth of the gospel, it is actually this passage that shows. Matter of fact, there's this reference to King Agrippa in the book of Acts where it says, these things did not happen in a corner. It is inexplicable and unexplainable how this group of people could keep a secret. Listen, Craig, if you and I worked up a lie and we stole the body, and you were the one who was in on it, and they came up to me and were gonna put a nail in my head if I didn't tell the truth, I am giving you up. I'm like, Craig lied. 
but they would die for this belief because they saw him. Acts chapter one, verse three, Luke summarizes the appearances and says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Bob's on North Main Street, go ask him. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Paul brings together all the witnesses to the resurrection, the Corinthians, the scriptures, a host of eyewitnesses, and then brings a final witness himself. Paul, then known as Saul, had been convinced Jesus was dead and his followers were the enemy of God. He persecuted the followers until Jesus met him himself. And then Paul says, I was as one untimely born. He's been changed by the power of the gospel. And he says, so we preach and so you believed. I love that Pastor Ron led us into this series. Why? Because he knows that it's on the foundation of the resurrection that the gospel is built and our lives are shaped. So we preach and so you believed. And we today, who name the name of Jesus, stand with these witnesses. And like Paul, we proclaim that Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, was buried, rose from the dead in accordance with the scriptures. That's the message here from Ron. That's the message here from Craig. That's the message here from our teaching pastors and all who believe can have life in his name. Now, if you've got this vague notion like I had, or even like that tour guide from Israel, yeah, I guess I believe in the resurrection. I want to invite you to hold that belief closely to receive the truth of the gospel. Because if the tomb's empty, the world is changed. And so we preach. And so many of you have believed. You know, sermons have different purposes. Sometimes they exhort you to a thing or to call you to a different thing, to repent, to change. Series have different purposes. I hope you walk through this series. If you miss some of it, you can go back and watch online. But here's the purpose of this message, to help you establish your faith rooted in an empty tomb. I've been there. I checked. He is not there. He is risen indeed. The confirmation of the resurrection is the confidence of our new life in Christ. So for those of you who don't know Christ, I want to invite you to receive today by grace and through faith the good news of that gospel. I love the fact that Pastor Ron and Jody came to faith later in life. You just tell they just had never gotten over that people need Jesus. We just haven't gotten over that. So if you vaguely believe, or if this is a new message to you, you can receive by grace and through faith the good news of the gospel. If you're a follower of Jesus who sometimes doubts, maybe come back to this passage like I do. Appeared, 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 appeared. Four times, hundreds of people, go ask them. This did not happen in a secret cave or somewhere away from everybody. These things did not happen in a corner, they told King Agrippa. And if you're a follower of Jesus who just needs to remember that my faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It's Good Friday because there's an Easter Sunday and that Easter Sunday changes everything forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you today and we ask, we receive this good news of the gospel. So we preached and so we have believed and received. Father, we come before you today reminding ourselves as followers of Jesus that our faith is not about being good people, trying harder, being religious. It's about an empty tomb. It's about your death on the cross for our sin and in our place. If you're here today and you're not sure you're a follower of Jesus, if I kind of explained about loosely believing in the possibility of some miracle, but you haven't received or held close this truth, I want to invite you to pray with me. You just say, Lord Jesus, just pray it silently to the Lord. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart this day. 
I trust you as my Savior. I follow you as my Lord. I believe in you. Father, I pray for those who just prayed that prayer, that they would share that with us, with someone else in this journey of faith. And Father, I pray for all of us that in moments of doubt, we might remember that these things didn't happen in a corner. It's true. He is alive. He is risen indeed. And that changes everything. Lord, in difficult times when the world wants us to move away from truths of the Bible, that we would stand and say, if the tomb's empty and the Bible's still true, we stand even in the midst of difficult times. But we only do these things because it's a good Friday, made true and possible by an Easter Sunday. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen and amen.